Welcome to the School Food Rocks podcast, a platform where we will discuss all things school food related and how we can improve school food on a national level. This is the School Food Rocks podcast. Welcome back to the School Food Rocks podcast. This is your host, Joe Urban, Director of Food Nutrition Services for Greenville County Schools. Joining me again today as co-host is the one and only Lauren Kushwa, Culinary Specialist for Greenville County Schools. Today is going to be all about chefs in schools and how important that is. We are fortunate in Greenville uh, to have been able to connect and collaborate with amazing chefs throughout the country and the world in an effort to elevate our program. Some of these are local here to Greenville. Some of them are South Carolina chefs. Some of them are regional chefs throughout the country. And even some of them are Michelin star rated chefs throughout the world. And then some of them are just regular chefs who decided to invest their energy and time and career into the K-12 industry. Through these relationships, we've been able to elevate our menus here in Greenville. We've been able to find opportunities for our students to uh, explore careers in the hospitality industry and partner with other chefs throughout the country in an effort to spread these best practices. On today's episode of the School Food Rocks podcast, Lauren and I are going to be chatting with Chef Sharon Schaefer. Like most chefs, her food journey is deeply rooted in her childhood. She was actually raised by hippies, so the 80s for her included more chicken coops and farm-to-table than really Michelin-star type food. But the bland family dinners that she had growing up sent her on a quest to find out if healthy food could actually taste good. Part of that journey happened at the CIA, where she earned both an associate's and bachelor's degree in culinary arts. Early career experiences included an internship at TV Food Network and being employed as a chef in various New York City restaurants, high-end wedding planning and food service management. In 2010, she turned her focus away from fine dining and began to explore school nutrition as a viable career path. Today, Chef Sharon is best known as a classically trained chef turned lunch lady and is the man behind the curtain for the Facebook group School Chefs. Chef Sharon frequently participates in industry product development, recipe and menu design. She trains school nutrition professionals nationally as an advisor for several school nutrition boards and state associations. She actively volunteers with her local community and within school nutrition at every level. Most recently, Sharon has been the director of food and nutrition services for Gretna Public Schools. During her time there, the district started a farm-to-school program, included local Wagyu and English beef, and weekly local produce deliveries. Big, big, big advances for her district. Uh, Gretna Public Schools also implemented share carts, garden bars, and food truck Fridays while Chef Sharon Schaefer was at the helm. Always looking for a new way to make an even greater impact on K-12 school food service? Chef Sharon is now stepping into a national role working with the Institute of Child Nutrition. Can't wait to talk to her about that. Her passion for school meals and making delicious and healthy equal partners on the tray have been a key part of her success with both students and the community. So without further ado, let's go. Sharon, welcome to the School Food Rocks podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today with my co-host, Lauren Kushwa. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on with you and Lauren. Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, we've been planning this for quite a while now. Um, I'm kind of glad it got delayed a little bit because 
um, some new developments have have occurred in your professional career that we're going to announce today. I know it's already been announced on social media, but is we're going to announce it here today and and uh, the impacts you're going to have in this new role are incredible. But before we go too far, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who Chef Sharon is and uh, how you got into the school food service industry to begin with? Absolutely, Joe. Thanks again. Um, Just like so many people, I came to school nutrition by accident. I went to the Culinary Institute years and years ago, and I really saw myself staying in fine dining or doing elaborate catering. Um, But then I became a mom. And that happens to so many people. You become a parent or a caregiver, and you start to think about food in a very different way. I was raised by parents that were a little bit off the beaten track of the average American diet and family. And I love the idea of healthy food. But for me, I wanted my kids to have really healthy food that actually tasted good. And lo and behold, Chef Sharon, and some people know, but not everybody knows, I also married a chef, two chefs, two boys, both allergic to peanuts. So what we fed them from a really early age was not only healthy, um, taste good, but also we were in this mode of protecting them. And when Thomas went to kindergarten, I remember thinking, well, who's going to feed them now? Who are these people? I had been to school, obviously, my whole life, but I had never really thought about school nutrition through the lens of the food service provider. And as a mom, I became very concerned about, well, where do they come from and what kind of education do they receive? How will they protect my child? Um, And I went in and I met with them. Um, We, Katie is her name, my my kid's school lunch lady at Upchurch Elementary in Millard Public Schools, Nebraska. And she was amazing. I was also re-entering the workforce from working a bunch of part-time jobs to be home with my toddlers, going back to a full-time job. And my very first full-time job back was selling food to schools as a DSR in the Omaha, Nebraska area. And this was in 2010. All of the rules had just changed. Mm -hmm. And that hippie background from my parents, the chef knowledge on how to cook stuff, and the federal rules, like it all just meshed. I felt like when I read the federal registry, because I am that much of a nerd that I read it. Um, I felt like I understood what they were trying to get school nutrition professionals on board to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's one of those things, too, where a lot of people who don't know about school meals and we hear a lot of um, what we call the scapegoat of going, well, the government tells me I have to do something this way. It's those rules and regulations that came in with Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. And um, Chef Sharon, I was just like you. I started... I wasn't even an RD yet. I was right out of my internship 2011 in July is when I was hired in Florida to be their dietitian and menu planner and Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act was just taken effect. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from of the rules and regulations are changing and and then it was the why of are they changing? And um, you know, as I was studying to become an RD, it was the realization that what would be your children's uh, generations and the generation of the children that were in the schools at that time, that they had a shorter life expectancy rate than their parents did. First time ever. Ever. 
And so that scared me as a parent. I was like petrified. Yeah. So I think that's just something to reiterate with everybody that there is a why as to why the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act even came into effect. And I know that it gives us some obstacles, but whatever, obstacles we can get over. No big deal. The why of it was for the health of the nation, you know, our children of the nation and um, getting on board and, and being a part of that. I was really fortunate I came in right as all of that was happening because I bought in immediately. So um, I feel you there. It's definitely one of those things that I think changed the way we look at at school lunch and what we're doing. And as a parent as well with a child with an allergy, I think it's really cool that you got super involved right off the bat. I remember that time very clearly as well. And um, changes were definitely needed to the program. They were still rooted in, in 70s and 80s nutrition knowledge, you know, uh, obesity rates and hypertension and everything else was skyrocketing with our with our youth in America. And, and, you know, while not everybody could agree with all the changes that were included with Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, um, obviously it was a good starting platform. Um, but unfortunately, the political climate in our culture used that as an excuse to to further divide America. So now it was Thank you, Michelle Obama, for the horrible food. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, oh, the Democrats are evil. The Republicans are evil, just like everything else in our in our world right now. And unfortunately, in my opinion, a lot of people use that political rhetoric as an excuse not to serve good school food, high-quality school food. Mm-hmm. It was like, I can't serve food that's good and nutritious for kids because they won't need it because these regulations are so strict. And because of Michelle Obama, they just absolutely ruined the program. But my experience with it was that for us, it was a fairly easy transition. We were already moving in a healthier uh, avenue anyway. So it was, we had to tweak our menus just slightly. But my experience is that um, those districts, and I don't like calling anybody out, but a lot of districts, districts around the country who were using those Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act regulations as an excuse to serve bad food were already serving bad food before that. And so that was just a good scapegoat. And uh, unfortunately, there, there's still a lot of that in our industry. And um, for one reason or another, people have different capacities to do certain things in, in school districts. We we probably have different capacities than, than you had in your role over there. Um, but one thing is for sure, it's not the regulations' fault that the food was bad. It's that you chose to take a, a, a way out one for one reason or another, and the food was, you know, not good. But my experience is, I've ne- during that time, I never saw an exemplary program serving amazing food immediately switch to serving crappy food because of regulations. They were already doing a, a poor job. Now it was difficult, but I hate when people use school food service regulations as an excuse not to do really, really good work. So what's your thoughts on that? You know what, Joe? Yeah, that's a really good point because if the regulations prevented you from serving delicious food, there would be no Joe Urban. That's right. Word. There would be no Chef Brenda. There would be no Chef Cindy. There would be no Chef V. There would be no Jason Hull. There would be no... So it is possible, but from what I've seen, and I've visited a lot of different school districts around the country... The difference comes down to leadership, whether it's the superintendent, the school nutrition director, a champion principal. There has to be somebody in a leadership position that has 
a vision and they're willing to overcome any obstacle because great food is a priority. That's right. And you you don't have to get there overnight. You don't have to get there overnight. You just need to make changes. And I think you're spot on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very fortunate here in Greenville in that I have always received unwavering support from my school board. Um, I have incredible support from multiple very influential uh, community partners. I have always uh, appreciated an incredible support from my superintendent and his entire administration. And, you know, all that support allows us to be able to like move in certain directions and continue to make progress. And I think any district that doesn't, you know, you take away one or two of those pieces and and it becomes very difficult for food service directors to, to really, really do something uh, that, that our kids deserve and, and, and would help change the perception of, of school food service nationally. And I don't want to say, I want to say this, you can have the support of the superintendent, the school board, your community, but if your your school district uh, food service director is not on board, it's going to be very very difficult for any change to happen. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you need you need so many things to align. Uh, but if one piece is is not in there, it doesn't mean you can't do good work. Yeah, absolutely. That is the number one reason why I'm so excited about where I'm headed. Because if you're not doing the type of food that you want to despite whatever role you have in school nutrition and in school districts, sometimes we feel like it's too great of an obstacle to overcome on our own, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's already people that are cooking from scratch. There's already people that have developed training and resources. You don't have to start from scratch and figure it all out yourself. We're the most united food service industry that I've ever experienced. Yep. 190,000%. That's true. 190,000. We say it all the time. We're better together. We share best practices with each other. Can't steal each other's customers. Why not make it better for the county next to us, the state, all the way across the country? It doesn't matter. Definitely. There's there's a good number of people that are doing such outstanding work in this industry. And one quality they all have in common. And these these are people I've interacted with on a regular basis over over the years and some that I haven't met yet. But I... The, the one similar characteristics everybody has is they're willing to help each other out, you know, and, and outside of that, there's, uh, there's great, there's, there's a, there's a number of really, really good consultant groups out there that do good job. Um, we're going to talk about your new role in a little bit and, and we'll expand upon that opportunity for school districts. Yeah, we got that's a little a, teaser when she said yeah, where she's headed. Are you headed to Greenville? Is that where you're headed? Oh God, we would be so lucky. I I would love to head to Greenville, but no, that's not what's happening. Okay, <laughs> um, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. <laughs> we'll hold on. Currently, to that I'm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. Currently, I'm the Food and Nutrition Services Director for Gretna Public Schools, and what's been fun about that for the last four plus years is it's the largest growing, fastest growing town and school district in the state of Nebraska. Really? So it's it's not large, as in Greenville to me. <laughs> you guys are huge. 
But not that many years ago, they had just over a thousand students. And now we have 6,600 and they're opening up a new school with a new kitchen almost every year. And they're going to continue to grow till they're probably 10,000, maybe even bigger than 10,000. So for this small little rural town where it used to be the farmer's wife was the kitchen manager right? Or they called it head cook. The farmer's wife was the head cook for the school. And now we've transformed into somebody told me recently, like in the top 20 largest school districts for the state of Nebraska. What's driving that growth there? I don't know where all these people are coming from. I moved here 20 (laughs) years ago from upstate New York I did so many people in Nebraska have all these babies that are now grown-ups? I'm not sure. Um, we have or, a booming economy. Or are the realtors now touting the incredible school food being served I in your district as a way to I sell houses? <laughs> I think that's it, Joe. All I right. do. Yes. <laughs> no, I, there's, there's a lot of um, tax benefits out in our area. Facebook has a headquarters just businesses that you wouldn't imagine have plopped down in the middle of the Omaha, Nebraska area. And then they're, they're bringing all the people that they need to work here. So they say that we are, um, cost of living is still fairly reasonable and they say we're recession proof, which I don't believe, but that's what they're promoting. And school food. And school food. And the best school food you can find, yes. Outside of Greenville. Obviously. Obviously. The best school food you can find. <laughs> All right. We're not going to fight on this podcast, but. Um, I don't know. We've got two New Jerseyans with us. We're, oh, yeah. It's going to be. <laughs> we got to watch Food fight. <laughs> food fight. Uh, I remember the time we connected through social media a long time ago and then in person at a SNA conference. Where was, was that Orlando? Is that where we first connected? I think so. There's been so many cities and so many conventions, but that sounds right. Yeah, and I, and I remember we we had uh, developed a a French a social media friendship, and then when we got to meet in person, it was really cool. And um, I remember this, and this made me feel really old at the time. But somehow you you were you you told me that that you loved Elvis, and I was like, cool. I got a real good connection with her now because part of my time growing up was in Las Vegas and, and I had the opportunity to to see Elvis a couple of times, but I was very young. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I got this connection with her. Hey, did you ever get to see Elvis? And you looked at me like, how the hell old do you think I am? <laughs> I'm like, Oh no, maybe she didn't. I know. I was just thinking as, as you said that you got to see him, I was like, how old are you? I was pretty young <laughs> at the time, but I'm like, cool. We got this Elvis thing. Did you get to see him? She's like, I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I remember the day he died and where I was when he died in Las Vegas. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So I, I have an odd infatuation with Elvis. Yeah. I just think he's like amazing. But yes, I am younger than Joe Urban. Yeah. Uh, Bold. And so it's it's very clear here who's who's the elder statesman in this podcast today. Um, but you know, <laughs> we're happy to make it clear. I'm glad you along. youngins could could spend some time with me to learn some stuff. That's a good thing. That's um, part of our responsibility as elders is to pass on knowledge to our younger generation here. So uh, you're welcome in advance. Uh, but I, you know, I'm listening. You're listening. Good. I'm taking notes. Good, good, good. <laughs> They're both lying right now, by the way, but that's okay. But I remember connecting with you down there. And then, and, you know, we further d- developed our friendship 
um, we had the Elvis in the Jersey thing. And then you're a chef and I was a restaurant guy. And it was like, cool, two chefs in school food. This is, you know, can't wait. And I think that time you were, you were doing consulting work um, and you visited Greenville. So um, tell us about that time you visited Greenville. That was a great trip. You had a local barbecue company come out with the smoker and I don't know if anybody else does that around the country that has, now you have the full Greenville barbecue truck, right? But this predates that. You didn't have your own truck yet. And when we were sitting there in the parking lot and the smoke's billowing, it's, it is even more impactful than when you bake the cinnamon rolls or, you know, the different things we do in the kitchen, you're caramelizing the onions and people say, oh my gosh, it just fills the school with all these great aromas. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Urban was like, hold my Pepsi or whatever we're allowed to say on K-12. <laughs> I'm going to fill the entire town with beautiful smelling air, not just yeah. the school. Um And we did some pickle. I'm a huge fan of let's add flavor to the menu without adding sodium. So we did a bunch of pickled vegetables to go with the barbecue. That's where it was. Yep. And you also were able to show me your growing towers, which at the time, they might have been one or two years in, but it was still a fairly new project with the science department. And to be able to see the hydroponic towers and you guys were clipping them and bringing them in. And it was amazing to watch and participate and see your team interact. And the barbecue was phenomenal. Yeah. So that barbecue was actually done by the school principal. And that school principal, most of the principals here in Greenville don't even know this, but that school principal was from uh, the Hill Country of Texas. And his family was like nine-time award-winning uh, brisket people. Oh, no way. So when I found that out, I'm like, oh, we're coming to cook with you. That's and cool. his brisket was legit. Still is legit. Um, so shortly after the visit, I know we talked about you were you were looking, and I said, why, why don't you get into school food service? Why don't you, you know, the consultant gig's cool. I think you're making a difference. But, boy, if you ever got in a district, you could do some damage. You could do some damage. Your passion and your expertise and your drive, um, you could do some damage. And then uh, I think shortly after that, you 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 took your your current role in Gretna. Is that right? Yeah, I think I actually started to talk to Gretna within six months of that visit at Greenville. And so I was still like fresh off the inspiration of how much of an impact a director could make. Um, I had worked in one district prior to that as the executive chef and culinary manager. But it's a little bit of a different shift when you're writing the menu and providing the inspiration and leading the team. So I was really excited to go into a school district and be able to to bring all of those pieces into one place. So what what were some of the challenges you faced when you first got there? Because I know you and I know when you got when you got there, you're like, cool, let me figure this place out. And then mm-hmm. we're gonna do some stuff. So what what yeah, were some of the challenges? I, was it was it mainly staffing or training or what was it? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Jamie Oliver effect? <laughs> oh, I think that's foreign Chef. to everybody here. Yeah. So chefs come into schools and they wave their finger mm. and they tell 
the district, everything they've ever done wrong. That's the Jamie Oliver effect. What I've experienced is so many more times that's not what's happening in school districts. But my number one obstacle was even though I knew the kitchen managers and the food and nutrition team for at that point for five years throughout my career of being in the area, they really thought that I would come in and stop my feet and wave my finger and tell them everything they've ever done wrong. Yeah. So it was a perception problem, which is funny because that's actually the problem with school lunch too. It's not necessarily that meals are bad. They're perceived to be bad in a lot of cases. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that helped was I started November of 2018. I went to my state conference June 2018 and was able to introduce myself and let all of the vendors know I'm starting in Gretna. This is my start date. You know, I don't have cards yet, but I want to look at products and everything. One of those distributor reps said, oh, Sharon, I know you. You're going to make all these changes. You're just going to like wipe the slate clean and start over, aren't you? I had no idea, but one of my future managers was standing directly behind me And I said, and it was truthful, and I recommend this to anybody coming in that wants to make changes. I said, they already do a great job. I need to get to know them. I need to find out what they do well so we can highlight it and make sure everybody in town knows. I have no intention of wiping the slate clean and starting over because that's not necessary. And some of that fear started to melt away. And she grabbed me at the food show. Her name's Ann Ducott. She's manager at Thomas Elementary. She's an amazing professional. Yep. Shout out to Ann. She's an amazing school nutrition professional. And I remember her saying, I'm so relieved to hear that you're not going to change everything. Now, Joe, you know me in the back of my head. Of I'm course, I want some stuff. <laughs> I, I definitely want to make changes, but I didn't want to make changes recklessly. Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff that every single district holds so much value. Mm. And if you devalue your people, why are they going to help you make any changes? Why are they going to be on your team at all? Mm-hmm. So some of the things that we identified right away was... Um, local districts around the the country, they're doing fresh fruits and vegetable bars, right? Mm -hmm. This district was still at the time doing tray line where it's one hot vegetable every day, one cold vegetable every day, and one fruit every day. And that's, that's great. That works for a lot of school districts. But when you look at it through the eyes of children, if you don't like apples and your fruit of the day is an apple, guess what you don't eat today? Fruit. So, so I'm a firm I'm a firm type. believer that you know it is all it is all of our responsibilities to make sure uh-huh. we give our students as many opportunities as possible to experience uh, new fruits and vegetables and you know increase their consumption as much as possible. And my experience is you got to give them options. So if you go to our schools, you're going to see uh, you know two to four vegetables out there every day, and you're going to see three to seven different fresh fruits out there every day. That way, if the kid don't like apples, there's an orange, there's a banana, there's some grapes, maybe some melons or strawberries if they're in season. So um, that that's a tip that I think most districts need to really grab onto. Like if you want kids to really consume more fresh fruits and vegetables, um, give them options. Make sure those options are prepared and presented properly. You're going to feed kids instead of the garbage cans. I was going to say, you know, and that's the other piece of it, right? So 
as a dietitian, as a mom, as somebody who is in the business of feeding children, I very much care that what they want to eat is out there. We've talked about this before. Nutrition on a plate is nothing if a student doesn't consume it. It's a waste at that point. So you can make it as nutritious as possible. They don't eat it. What's the point of it? But the other piece of this is that we are a business and we have to consider finances and things. And I think some people get a little bit concerned about a lot of options because they see a lot of money going out. But if the student is going to eat it, you're actually going to, one, save money because they're not choosing something that they're just going to throw away. And two, if you do it wisely, you prep correctly, you put your lines out nicely, you stock your lines appropriately using whole fruits, things like that that you can reuse, rewash, um, or keep on the back lineup You know that you're not putting out constant fruit all the time, or vegetables as well, then you're saving yourself money and you're saving yourself prep. And then it's just one of those things where I just, I've, I've heard time and time again, people get hung up on, we do what you said, Chef Sharon, we do the one, we do two, and that way it's safe. We know how much we're putting out. Well, then how much are you wasting at the same time? And uh, it just drives me crazy when people do that. And also understanding the correct way of panning items. You know, the appearance of full is the appearance of fresh. So you don't want to use a mm-hmm. six-inch shotgun pan or something like that where they're scraping the bottom. Your two-inch pans are going to save you money. They're going to make your lines look nicer, and they're going to encourage your children to eat more. So um, I love that that's one of those first things that you went for. We always talk about the low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. What you can change right off the bat, and produce is an is a easy, uh, easy route to take. Huge. Sharon, you made a lot of strides while you were th- there in, in Gretna. Can you, can you highlight some of the ones you're most proud of? Sure. Um, okay. I'm sorting through my brain cause I'm like, Oh, top, top three. Um, there was no social media presence when I started and Joe, you've said it and you couldn't be more correct. If you're not telling your story, somebody else will, and they won't do it nearly as well. So allowing the food and nutrition services department to have that Facebook connection with parents. There's Twitter and Instagram as well. We're not as active on those just because our parents seem to really latch on to the Facebook connection, but I wasn't expecting it. The other part that happened with having that Facebook is the people that work for the school district, most importantly, the people that work for food and nutrition, they followed the page and they felt pride in the work that they had always done. Just to say, you know, here's Patty Jones at Aspen Creek Middle School, and she went ahead and baked fresh cinnamon rolls to go with the homemade chili today. And to have that picture of Patty and for her to feel pride that her school district is bragging. Nothing changed about Patty and her cinnamon rolls, but nobody had been telling the story. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be the number one. And I wasn't expecting how much that would come back to us in a positive way with building our team. No, it was a Um, big driver for us too. Yeah. The number two um, pride moment for me as a director is the response time that my team did when we had to turn on a dime for COVID. I know that a lot of districts did the same thing, but it doesn't take away my pride for my team. We were told on, we were, we were told on a Friday that kids were not coming to school for a couple of weeks, which then was extended to the rest of the school year Mm -hmm. within 48 to 72 hours. We had an entirely new program developed 
And we made sure that the entire town, not just the school children, but the town were fed. And if you want to talk about fishes and loaves, I'm sure a ton of people have heard that analogy before. You have fresh product on hand and schools are closing down, but there's lettuce, there's baby carrots, there's milk. So the very first thing they did was we gathered everything and brought it to some satellite facilities so we could use without any additional cost to our program or the district, we could use all of that fresh viable product and get it into our households when people were in a a period of time where it's like, I don't even know if I should go to the grocery store, but they could pull up to a school where they felt safe and pick up groceries and food that's been prepared for them. And I can't even tell you how overwhelming it was to see the team just turn that on. That was at a time Um, when they they were being told by our government, I'm sure your governor or your local health department, that it's not safe to be out. You know, that was the case yes. here. It's not safe to be out. And, and your people said, I got this. I'm my, community, my community needs yeah. me. Yeah, I, I, have a, I have a call to service that is more important than anything else. Um, also, just side note, my father's a health officer in North New Jersey. And he was working very, very closely with all of the powers that be all of the national conferences. So I was on the phone 24 seven with my dad getting advice on, you're going to have two teams. They're never going to have contact with each other. If one team goes down, you still have a viable team. You're not going to interact with people when they pull up to the curb because at that initial stage, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was real and what was exaggerated. And I didn't want to put my team at risk. So the protocols that we put in place, we had zero COVID interaction, zero COVID issues at all during that time. That was a, that was an important time for this country to realize how important school nutrition employees were. Absolutely, they were. I mean, they're, I'm not going to underplay any any medical people because. They played a little part in getting us through that as well. They might have done something. But there were some times where throughout the country, we were the people making sure our community was fed. You know, they weren't, you know, yes. grocery stores are closed or they were told not to go there, you know. And and these mobile sites were, um, I know in my community and yours and, and elsewhere, they were, they were lifesavers for a lot of people. Yeah. And it, while I hated it took that event, it, that event did help highlight the important role our employees play, um, not only in our schools, but in our community. And I, and I hope they don't forget that because yeah. it's easy to forget it because we're in the background. I hope they don't forget it because mm-hmm. it's, it's hard work. They don't get a lot of glory. I'm glad you guys are showing your people on social media because they everybody needs to see the the great work they're doing. Um, you also made some some big strides in, in uh, incorporating salad bars and farm-to-school programs and even some local beef, which, you know, I'm a big beef guy, so... I'm kind of excited about that. Um, what did that look like? Nebraska has phenomenal meat. They just, I mean, the beef out here, I don't even order beef at restaurants when I leave Nebraska. It's that good. So one of the things that I recognized coming back from ANC 2019 was we've got to look at what we're doing and how can we do it better? So if we have decent tacos, why can't we have like food truck mouthwatering, amazing drop-dead tacos, right? There's no reason why we can't. 
um, sat next to a cowboy on an airplane. True story. It's like, what do you do for a living? I'm a child nutrition director. What do you do? I'm a cowboy. I didn't really know that that was an actual job. <laughs> but if you live in Nebraska, you can have a job as a feedlot cowboy. Yep. Um, his feedlot that he worked to take care of the cows happened to be like three and a half miles away from my district. And he was on the airplane with me because his wife is the child nutrition director for Council Bluffs, Iowa, 20 minutes away. So he understood where I was coming from. I said, I need to figure out a way to buy beef from you. I'm just, I'm sold on this concept. And if we can get really good quality beef into schools, it's a game changer for flavor profile. So when we talk about that initial gut reaction that I had that I didn't want to come in and change everything, they were already bringing in ground beef through brown box and whatever other sources. So I essentially wasn't changing anything other than the quality, which for me is everything. Everything. But the- and so not only did you improve the quality of the beef served in your, served in your program, it was local too. And so, you know, we have an opportunity in these programs if we can, if we can navigate procurement uh, practices properly to really make a financial impact, positive financial impact in, in businesses in our area, you know? And so if, if you're able to bring in high quality beef instead of highly processed beef and also pump some of your money back into the local economy, that's a win for everybody. It's a total win-win. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you went uh, that route as well, because it's something that we, we speak about, you know, I, I came from Florida now I'm here in South Carolina, you're in Nebraska, and there's different ways of doing farm to school and local procurement that is outside of produce and really utilizing what is the specialty within your area is, um, I think something a lot of people aren't tapping into enough. So no, they hear farm to school and it's like, do I get my tomatoes from the guy down the street? But how many think about, do I get my beef from that? Yeah. We we do bread. We We do bread here. It's very cool. Every grain we serve with the exception of tortillas and rice, I believe, is produced by a local bakery. Mm-hmm, That's, you mm-hmm. know, he does, he makes an incredible product that meets the regulations, you know, when we're putting that money back in our local community. Yeah, very cool. How did your, how did your yep. community respond um, to your program as you started to improve the quality of meals and, you know, highlight them as well? Great question. Facebook has been my friend. And because I decided to, to do this local beef one time, you never want to, rewrite the program and go, well, that was a big mistake, right? Mm -hmm. So I made um, a specific effort spring. uh, I'm going to say it was 2019. It had to be 2019. Spring 2019, I said, we are participating in the state's program called Nebraska Thursday. And you can sign up in Nebraska that I'm going to do this once a year, once a month, once a quarter, every Thursday, you can sign up whatever level you want. So my first year as a director, I said, we're going to do this one time this school year. And we made everything on that tray local. And I posted on Facebook to the parents, this is what we're doing in April. If you know any local vendors, let me know. We already have our beef from Rake's Beef secured. And there happened to be a um, retired military person, Adam, he owned a company called Adam's Acres and they were going to do lettuce and microgreens. Well, we've decided to do tacos. Guess what goes great on tacos, (laughs) right? And we already had been buying local milk and local bread. 
So that tray, that concept of everything on this tray is going to be from Nebraska started to come together. Then at the next manager's meeting, because it went well and the manager saw it was different lettuce, but she hasn't said serving lettuce with tacos was always wrong, right? Mm -hmm. We're saying everything we've always done was right, but what if we buy it from these people instead? Um, And they noticed the quality of the lettuce. The managers were like, can I buy some of this for my house? This is the most amazing lettuce. Mm -hmm. So the manager's meeting, we get together and I said, how many times do we want to do this next year? And we decided to do it once a quarter. So we would do it four times the next year. And within a couple of months, the following year, we were like, we're going every Thursday. Nice. We're making Nebraska Thursday every Thursday. There's enough that you can do with ground beef that it didn't even have to be tacos. We do have tacos. We do have nachos. We have um, marinara with meat sauce, which kids out here love. It's a beef-loving community. Let me just get that out there. (laughs) Um, And we always have a... We have a vegetarian option. We have all the other things as another option, um, but we do our chili, homemade chili on Thursdays through the wintertime. Chili in a cinnamon roll is a huge regional thing. Um, and then it forces us on that Thursday to say, what else can we put on the tray that's from Nebraska? And you start to find those side dishes and everything. Next thing you knew it, we were buying local produce as well that's because wonderful. it's like, well, And Nebraska is known for the color red because of the football team. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Huskers. Go Huskers. (laughs) They're struggling for the last two decades, but we're dedicated to the team out here. And everybody's favorite color is red. So red peppers for Nebraska Thursday, local tomatoes for Nebraska Thursday. All of these things would come from parent suggestion, manager suggestion, team suggestion. That made my job easy. I just had to find somebody that was growing it. They were on board. You know what I what I love about that the most, and I preach to other people about this, is that all started with, let's do this one thing from this one guy one time a year. And it blossomed and morphed into this amazing program you had. And, you know, the people really need to understand in this industry, you know, don't look at another program and say, man, I'll never be them. You got to look at yourself and say, what can I do better today? And when you have that Mm -hmm. mindset, things just start piling on top of each other. And you, you know, in short time, you're like, wow, how did we get here? Well, I mean, and I was going to say, I love, you know, you talked a lot in there without really fully saying that this started with an idea you had but I think it was overall successful due to the buy-in that happened. You mentioned your managers loving that lettuce. They wanted to buy it themselves. And I think all of us in the school nutrition world know the difference that anybody on that serving line can make. And I have had to pull somebody off the line for asking a kid, why would you want to eat carrots? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's have a talk real quick. Kid wants to eat carrots. You tell them, fantastic, because these are going to be the best carrots you're going to have. We don't discourage consumption of nutritious food. And so I think here in the lettuce situation and the beef situation that you specifically spoke to, getting your people into it and loving it first is going to translate when they're serving our children too, to say like, hey, I love this, try it. I mean, I, I love those people who work on the line, who really encourage the kids, you know, who's going to be my broccoli star today? And then it just has a little trickle effect down and all of a sudden everybody's choosing broccoli today. 
you know, and, and as chefs and food service directors, um, for us, we, we, we try to improve the quality of our food because we're proud of what we serve. You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you want your customers to enjoy it. One thing that I don't, I don't think a lot of us pay attention to is that, you know, when we do that, when we, when we improve the quality of the food and improve our recipes and we, we increase, you know, student participation and now they're, you know, consuming all or three quarters of their plate where in the past, maybe they only ate a portion of it and threw the rest out. You know, the impact that has on student achievement in the classroom is something we don't measure as much as we should in our industry. Because at the end of the day, we're all here as a support system for our schools so that right. students are are properly prepared to, to learn in the classroom. And one thing I know is, you know, um, Kids who are hungry have a more difficult time uh, learning, and and student achievement can be tied to the quality of a school food service program. Mm -hmm. And it reaches into a lot of other areas, too. Hunger is one of the top reasons that students visit the nurse's office, whether it's the the headache, the dizzy spell, the upset stomach, the grumbling stomach, the eat the wrong thing stomach. Um, so it, it has such a profound impact in the classroom, but then it almost um, reduces student interaction in the most positive way. Nurses office, counselors office, um, disciplinary situations. It's a win when feeding kids healthy food. And this is the part that my parents absolutely got right. Better than any other hippie parent I've ever heard of making sure that we know that we can take care of our bodies now with what we put into it, or we can take care of our bodies later with medicine that we'll need. It doesn't cure everything, but just having that mindset of, I am going to fuel myself for success because it's that important. I I think we're creating a generation that will have more buy-in to that concept than we've ever had before. Well, that's all our hope. I I, I know that's definitely uh, the vast majority of us in this industry. That's our hope for sure. So we talked about chefs in schools and kind of the anxiety of of some school service, uh, food service staff when, when a chef is brought into a school, either to be the district chef or the director and, you know, some of the pitfalls that happen. I believe um, we need to do a better job convincing chefs about the incredible opportunities in this industry. Um, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely a different customer base than we were used to in our prior careers, but the rewards of doing this kind of work far outweigh, you know, me appreciating my customers that came back a couple times a week. I, I was very appreciative of that because my, you know, all my bills depended on it. But here we have an opportunity to make such a such a great difference. And there is, there are a lot of opportunities around the country for chefs to earn a great wage in this industry. But what they don't realize is the quality of life that they're going to get here um, exponentially outweighs anything we had in our prior careers. You know, being home with your family, um, I mean, there's, you can't put a number behind that anymore for me. Um, you know, everybody's home on the weekends and the holidays and, you know, you're home for dinner every day. That's that's something as, as chefs you're, you're not accustomed to and, and you get into the industry um, with a mindset that I know it's sacrifice and I'm going to have to find myself the right life partner who's going to be okay with that. 
and my kids are going to have to understand that I'm not going to make every baseball game. I'm not going to, unfortunately for me, I did, you know, my kids oftentimes in the early stages of my restaurant had to come to my restaurant for us to hold their birthday parties. That's the only way I could be there. So I I think we need to do a better job of, of uh, getting more chefs in the schools, but also um, we need to do a good job as we get them in here to explain to them, because I, I learned this the hard way, and a lot of people I know that got in this industry did as well. Um, you can't go in there and say, all right, this is all crap. We're changing all this crap, and we're going to, we're making mm-hmm. Bernay sauce today, and we're going to, you know, be Julian and every single vegetable we have in here. I mean, we need to make sure that they understand, like, like forget about all that. Let's focus on mm-hmm. how do we help improve, you know, the quality of food that we're serving. And there's great opportunities for that. And, uh, uh, pretty soon, I haven't announced this, but I got a, another good friend that we're going to have on this podcast who's doing excellent work in that space. So I couldn't agree more. And and chefs that come in and are willing to humble themselves, which I'll speak for myself here, but that that might be the hardest part of being is. a chef and coming into school nutrition. As a chef, you're brainwashed to believe I have to be the person that has the answers. Right. Because you can't lead a fine dining kitchen and be wishy-washy. Right. Right. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And a story. So you do have to come into school nutrition with a much more humbled version of yourself because you know a lot about food and you're going to get there. But the first step is to learn what's already happening and to in embrace this brand new world of red orange vegetable and starchy and dark green and potatoes not a starch it's a vegetable yada 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 there's so much to learn that if you could drop that ego and say let me kind of start all over again um at cia i was trained by cia graduates to go to cia as a freshman and they would they would literally beat me up. They would make me do chef jobs by hand, like whip the cream by hand instead of using a mixer. And they would say, because we want you to go to CIA and be the, the strongest, most amazing student. And I'm like, you know, 105 pounds, 19 years old, crying in the walk-in, whipping the cream by hand, court after court. But I got there. I got stronger and I got more resilient. That's how kitchens operate. Right before I went to CIA, they said, forget everything we ever taught you. You know nothing. When you walk into a kitchen, whoever your chef is, whoever your leader is, they will tell you how they like it. And nobody's more correct than them. When I came to school nutrition, I was able to drop everything I knew because they had, they had taught me how important that was. If you can come in as a chef, forget everything you ever knew. Just listen and learn. Your well, skills will, will top it all off. Well, let, let's hope this podcast and some other efforts around the country are going to help convince some of our chef colleagues to get in this industry because it's it's life-changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to segue a little bit because we talked a, a lot today, but we teased early on that um, the amazing, the one and only Chef Sharon Schaefer is taking on a new gig that's going to enable her to have a greater impact in school nutrition, a national impact on school nutrition. So let's talk about it. What's happening? I am so excited to share that my new role starting next week will be with the Institute of Child Nutrition, 
for anyone that hasn't heard of the ICN, I think the easiest way to describe it is it's the educational arm of the USDA. There are so many rules and so many regulations. And a very long time ago, it was decided that we need a place that comes up with the resources and the training and the support that school nutrition districts and programs need to thrive. And the ICN is that place. So my new title is Associate Director of Strategic Initiatives and Outreach. Do not say that 10 times fast, and I don't expect them to fit it on a business card. (laughs) Congratulations. That's huge, huge news. And for our listeners out there that that aren't familiar with uh, the Institute, um, it was one of my first opportunities when I got into this industry to spend a week down there um, learning um, about school food service management. Boy, I came out of there that week going, all right, cool. I I have a much stronger understanding of these regulations in this industry than I than I had a week ago because I mean, there's so much information, and they do they did such a great job of teaching that. And to this day, I I still send um, my new supervisors, area supervisors, and some of my district trainers down there when the opportunities come up because it's just great. Uh, you know, and I got to participate in. Um, a couple different sessions down there over the years. And I also had the opportunity to consult for them a couple of times. And in every experience I've ever had with them has been outstanding. So um, great group. Hopefully you're going to help, uh, uh, help push their efforts, but what, I know you're not there yet, but what do you think this role is going to look like? The ICN is funded by a non-cooperative grant through the USDA. And that's what helps keep the lights on but they're also working on a number of projects with the team that they have in place. I'll be working with the team to make sure that all of the projects, all of the things that are on USDA's task list are being accomplished. So the good work that's being done could be turned over to school districts. The outreach part of my job is helping make the connections with all of the people that may not know about ICM or those of you like Joe that have been there, but maybe there's a new opportunity or a new program that's coming out. That's awesome. I also attended the ICN um, education, you know, what was it like a week long thing that you did at Ole Miss there. And uh, it is one of the better um, use of my time for an educational experience outside of, you know, our county doing something. I absolutely loved it. That and Produce University, I always say those were the top two that that I really felt were valuable. And um, I cannot imagine what you're going to bring to the table for all of this and the new programs that have yet to even be thought of or implemented that you will be able to help build and share with others. It's really kind of funny that we're having this conversation right now. Joe and I just spoke this morning about one of my favorite aspects of working here in Greenville is that we have people visit us. And I feel like we're really able to help others, you know, even if they can't do exactly what we're doing, what can they do in their county? And I hope that we're helping make changes across the nation, let alone just our state, for positive change in school nutrition. And ICN is definitely one of those organizations where they're really, really doing a great job nationally to help people understand and implement change. And um, just this conversation with you today is so cool. You are cool. I am very um, 
humbled to be able to be here with you and Joe today to talk about these things. And I just think that you're going to bring amazing things to ICN. So congratulations to you and your new role. Thank you so much. I think the most exciting part for me is to give a perspective of someone that's actually done the work. Yeah. I've run the dish machine. I've taken the phone call from the parent that's angry. I've coached the manager through difficult situations. Uh, that voice will be heard. If you know me, you know I'm not quiet. I have plenty to say. I will be speaking on behalf of operators. Um, I, I think that that perspective will be really helpful because when you're designing curriculum and programming, you're inviting people to campus or you're offering webinars or opportunities to come out to different parts of the country and participate within districts and regions. It only works if it is education that resonates with our staff. And they've done an amazing job with that up to this date. And we're going to continue to do that work. We're so excited for you to take on this new opportunity. Uh, can't wait to have you back on the podcast and say maybe a couple months, you know, give you a little time to get your feet wet. And then you could uh, come back and tell our listeners like, wow, here's what we're really doing. Um, shout out to the ICN for hiring my good friend, Chef Sharon. Um, you guys hit gold with her. It's a huge win. You got Chef Patrick over there, too. They're really building an amazing team. And I can't wait to see what you guys got uh, got coming for us. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start to wrap up this podcast today. Uh, but I'd like to give you an opportunity um, to put out one call of action to our listeners. You know, what advice can you give to uh, school districts, whether it's uh, superintendents, whether it is – uh, food service directors, uh, anybody that's in this business, what what piece of advice can you give our listeners um, for those that are interested in improving the quality of school food in their in their district? My challenge to everybody is pick one thing and do it. Don't let anything get in your way. If you don't have enough money, find it. If you don't have enough staff, get volunteers. If you don't know the resource, call somebody that's doing a similar item. For me, it was that one Nebraska Thursday. Pick one thing and don't let anything stop you. Once you've been able to, to add that one little item and see that the obstacles weren't as much of a struggle as you imagined, everything opens up. Everything changes. Yeah, every that is outstanding advice that is that is the playbook we used here in greenville when we first got started over a decade ago pick one thing kill it move on to the next thing and just keep doing it keep doing it don't stop our kids deserve it our kids throughout the country deserve our best effort don't ever be satisfied with where you are continue to improve uh, partner with people whenever you can, and let's all help kids uh, get better food. That's our goal. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the School Food Rocks podcast. My good friend, Chef Sharon Schaefer, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It's been it's been so much fun, um, a lot of information, and some new and exciting things happening for you and our National Teaching Institute. So um, very happy. Thank you. 
Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Lauren. I loved our time together. That Part mean, two coming up. That's Part right. two coming up. <laughs> All right, that's it for today, guys. Until next time, let's go.